What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Tom Westerholm, joined today by Chris Grenham. And we are going to talk about the Celtics' impressive win. We've spent a lot of time talking about this team's failures, so we felt like we should probably spend some time talking about their impressive win over the Bucks. We're recording this Wednesday afternoon. But before we get into the Bucks game and how well the Celtics played and how good Jason Tatum looked with Jalen Brown and everything else, we should talk about Danny Ainge, who has a new gig as the, I believe, CEO of the Utah Jazz. He is not, it doesn't sound like it's going to be the same role as the one he had with the Celtics. But Grenham, I mean, really no surprise, I feel like. I feel like Ainge has been kind of hinting that at some point he would get back into basketball. If he was going to get back into basketball, it seemed like Utah was a pretty natural fit. Any thoughts on today's news? Full transparency here. When you started, to, you talked about the Bucs, and you said, but first, I was, in my head, I was 99% sure you were going to bring up how bad the Wizards have been. I was like, <laughs> I was like waiting for that, and I was fully prepared to start making excuses. I'm glad we're not going there. We don't need to talk about that. Danny Ainge, yeah. I mean, he talked at the tradition, which you were at last week. He talked with Chris Forsberg with NBC Sports Boston, and it seemed like he was ready to get back into the NBA. And I think there was a lot of speculation even before that interview that he, you know, wasn't fully retired. He was going to come back in some form. He's been living in Utah. Like, he's fr- he's very close with this. I just think it makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and so the fact that he can work alongside – owner Ryan Smith, who it seems like he's pretty close with work alongside Zanuck. Like it's a pretty ideal fit for Ainge if he was looking to get back in. So I think the fit makes sense. I'm not all that surprised. I don't think you are either. I mean, it seemed like this was kind of inevitable. It's just a question of where was he going to go to Portland? Was he going to go to Utah? There was a couple teams that were thrown out there really not from like the jump. It really, this speculation hasn't really, it's not new. This didn't pop up over the last month. It was almost like he quote unquote retired or stepped down from Boston. And then the speculation started. So no, I'm not surprised. I think he's a good asset for the jazz to have, honestly, like that's a nice guy to throw into your front office, a front office that already has done pretty good work in the last few years. Definitely. And I, you know, I think it's interesting. Ryan Smith did an interview with ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. And he said, if you have DA Danny Ainge sitting 20 minutes away in Utah, you put him to work, right? Everyone has always asked, is this the plan? Well, it definitely wasn't Danny's plan until last week. To me, what, what it sounds like, listen, this is all just like speculation. This is not sourced or anything. But if you, if you kind of follow the timeline, it seems like Ainge probably left the Celtics with no real concrete plans to return to basketball. That seems, I think that's probably true. Yeah. He ends up in Utah because, you know, he's got family in Utah. It's, you know, he's, you know, he's got like a lot of connections to that area. It was more about, all right, I'm in Utah now. And then the Jazz looking at it and being like, huh, I wonder if we could have Danny Ainge. That, to me, that, that seems like what probably happened here more so than, you know, some kind of grand plan to leave the Celtics and then end up with the Jazz. Um, one way or the other, I mean, I think you're right, though. It's pretty interesting that he's there. I mean, he's, he's, he's really talented. You know, he, he's taken a lot of grief. For, I mean, it's kind of hilarious the things that he's taking grief for, right? Like that he's um, that he's a bad drafter, that he trades too much, that he doesn't trade enough, that he you know hangs on to his guys too long. I mean, people have had every criticism for Danny Ainge under the sun, and I think when you look at kind of the poll, you know, the different polls of the criticisms in the middle, there's probably a pretty good GM who did a good job for the Celtics, who helped them win a championship, and kind of put them on a uh, on a good path going forward. 
Yeah, I think he caught a lot of criticism, and some of those criticisms were valid toward the end of his tenure, maybe sticking with some of those young guys a little bit too long. But overall, I agree, in the middle of all that is a good GM. And the fact that now Utah gets to utilize a good GM in Danny Ainge and their current GM, Justin Zanuck, you work with Ryan Smith, you work with Dwayne Wade, it's a pretty good structure that they have going there, honestly. And I kind of, if I was a jazz fan, I would be pretty pumped up about it. So I think Ainge, like I said before, is a really good resource on your latter point or um, your former point. I, I agree with you. Like it, it doesn't really feel like this was a grand plan by any means. I think Ainge talking about, you know, the fact that he had to kind of like decompress and just calm down a little bit. I think that was really genuine. Like I yeah. really do think that he just wanted to spend some time with his family, play golf and, kind of lay low. That's a pretty hectic lifestyle to live for a while. So I don't think this was a, a master plan or anything. Well, the man had a heart attack. Like yeah. it was, it was definitely real, you know, yeah. like what, like his, his need to decompress was definitely real. Uh, like he probably would have preferred to end up working for the jazz and he put himself in a position where if the jazz wanted him, then they could go get him. And sure enough, they wanted him. So they went and got him. Like I, if I were, that would be my guess is that that was how, how things went down more so than uh, than anything nefarious. All right, well, let's get into this year's Celtics because they had, like like we said at the, at the top, easily, I think, their best performance of the season so far against the Bucs. Uh, Granham, you, you watched the game last night. What were some of your takeaways from that one? I do think it was, it's either that or the Heat win for me is their best win oh, of yeah, the season. Oh, yeah, that was a good one too, yeah. But I, but I think the circumstances here are a little bit more must-win-like. I don't see this as a must win but I mean you got a team in Milwaukee who's playing really well coming in it's not like they had been sliding and injury battered like they were earlier in the season they were kind of cooking coming in and I thought the Celtics were really really good on both sides of the ball I thought kind of top to bottom everything went right you know you had one of those otherworldly performances from Jason Tatum where he goes 16 to 20 16 to 25 I think it was 42 points like he was unstoppable at points. Like that's kind of what you need from him in big matchups like this. You get Jalen Brown coming back who doesn't do anything crazy, but he's just that steadying force in the middle of this lineup. And I think he really, really helps on the defensive end, which again, we've talked about that, but their defense was so bad on the West coast trip. And I don't think it was strictly because Jalen Brown was out, but this game was further proof to me. Like, He's really good on offense, but he really is important on the defensive end for this group. And I think he kind of almost brings everything together as that versatile wing defender. So I was really happy to see him back one and not get like another long injury thrown in there. I I got a little nervous there when he came down on his, it was left knee. So that was concerning, but that was good. Grant was very good again. I mean, really my main takeaway is top to bottom. This is outside of that heat game, probably the only time this year we've seen everything click. So that was, I thought it was a great sign, a little punch back from the Celtics, which is important. I'm still not convinced. This isn't just another up on the roller coaster because we've seen it before. So I don't want to get too high in Brad Stevens terms. I don't want to get too low, but I do think it was a really, really good performance and kind of reassuring for Emi Odoka. Yeah. I mean, it makes you kind of hope that they can just have a stretch here where they're healthy. Cause I mean, that, that to me is going to tell you everything you need to know about this team. Like if they're, you know, if they if they're healthy and they rattle off five of six or six of seven, like especially with the with the with the schedule they've got coming up here. I mean, good Lord, like even if you know, even if they end um, if they end December, you know, at or a little bit above 500, I think there's there's a lot of reason for optimism going and, and they're healthy. 
I think there's a lot of reason for optimism going into January, at very least that this team is a little bit better than we thought. Now, I do think it's, I do think it's kind of interesting that, you know, like you said, this team has been so roller coastery, right? And we come off literally the worst stretch of the season by far, and we get one of the best performances of the season. That does kind of feel like them, you know, kind of kind of meeting in the middle there, right? Yeah, like that that sure. 500 team that you've talked about. Um, they got back to 500, I, b- I believe, right? Like they're back at 500 now. They got back to 500, um, and just yeah, again, just kind of meet right in the middle there. Give everybody that little bit of hope. I think it's going to be really important for them to prove that this is that this is something that they can sustain, not just from like a performance perspective, because we do know that they have enough talent to be as good as they were on Monday. They also need to just kind of show like, okay, this is something that that they can kind of keep up. This this kind of attention to detail is something they can keep up. And Ima Yudoka needs to keep playing lineups with a ton of shooters yeah. because like that that was I mean that was a huge part of the difference and some of that was Jalen coming back and you know obviously he's a shooter and he's somebody people have to pay attention to but I mean Grant Williams at this point is so pivotal to this team it's kind of crazy five of seven from three like super confident one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA it's absurd how he's up to 45.3 percent on the year if you had told me coming into this year that he was probably going to be their most reliable three-point shooter off, like it's crazy it's it's absolutely crazy to me but he's been huge for them and it also helped quite a bit that Jason Tatum was seven for 13 from three which has not happened this year so that was really crucial but Grant Williams is turning into a really confident three-point shooter and and I have to give props to him because a lot of times everyone's like yeah I worked on my three-point shooting I worked on my three-point shooting whatever Grant would not stop talking about that and now he's like clear cut has the best shooting percentage on this team outside of, I think Jabari Parker, who doesn't really count props to grant for working on that. But yeah, the, the lineups were a huge factor against the bucks. Like Emi Udoka has run out some really questionable lineups over the past few weeks where there's just no shooting and no spacing at all, where it's just like an absolute mess on the offensive end. He avoided that against Milwaukee having a healthy team helps with that. And again, Josh Richardson should be back. It sounds like against the warriors. So, That'll help with some lineup versatility too, but you have to have a shooter or two on the floor because it's easy on this roster to run out a lineup where there's no shooting. And he got sucked into it a couple of times, but not against the Bucs. And I think that was a major, major difference maker. So that's a good point. I think you're right that, that Ime's gotten sucked into that a few times where you do see, you know, double bigs with Schroeder and Smart or whatever it might be. I mean, that was the starting lineup, right? For a while there. Yeah. No wonder Tatum was getting swarmed. It's no wonder he was having so much trouble. I mean, he just looked like, I mean, he just looked like he was breathing easy yesterday uh, on, on Monday. Like it just looked yeah. so much easier with, with Jalen on the floor, with Grant on the floor so much more. Do you think that Grant should start? Because I know there's an argument for just keeping the lineup as it is. That group has been really good, right? Like there's no, there's no issues with, with the smart Jalen Tatum, Horford, Rob lineups, but I mean, Grant has been so good. Like, he's looking like a starter. So it's hard to say yes because of how good that starting lineup has been when they're healthy. But I think he should. Like, I think there's more of an appeal there where it's just further floor spacing. And I think that's when guys like Tatum and Brown really thrive, when there is that additional spacing. And right now, Grant, whereas in the beginning of the year, yeah, he gave some extra spacing, but it was still like uncertain. Now it's 
it's a legitimate help in terms of spacing when he's on the floor because he's a legitimate three-point shooter all of a sudden. And so that just makes it so much harder for other teams to load up on Tatum and load up on Jalen. They just can't do it as much. And I think that's crucial. Again, it's about making life easier for Tatum and Brown. And I think Grant out there does just that right now. So solely from a spacing perspective, I think it's worth having Grant in the starting lineup and, and closing more often than not. I think it'd be a good call. I think the other thing that I like about it too is, is Schroeder and Horford have talked about how much they like yeah. in a two-man group. Bring those guys both off the bench. Just have them both. I mean, they can both play 25, 30 minutes off the bench. And honestly, I mean, the Celtics have been riding Al pretty hard. Like, he's put in some long minutes here early in the season. And, like, he's really healthy and he's done really – like, he, he looks really good this season and everything like that. But, like, I mean, it's a long season. We're only it's, – it's only December 15th. Yeah, like you got like you got four more months at least of, of Al Horford needing to be healthy. I mean, give, you know, bring him off the bench. Let Rob run out there whenever he's healthy. You can always start Al when you need to. When when if Rob is missing time, like I think I think there's some some utility to it in a bunch of different ways. Yeah, and I think that flexibility with the bigs helps a lot. Like, yeah, you run Grant out there and then say Rob goes down for a couple games with soreness or something. You can just plug Al right in, and that's not really going to – they're not going to skip a whole lot of beats with that happening. And I think the real benefit, like you said, is the two-man game with Schroeder and Horford. Like, I'm, I'm – <laughs> I don't want to bury Dennis Schroeder here, but, like, he – the way he just kind of kills pace sometimes – I think at times it's him, like he does it with the starting unit where he just like murders the pace. He'll dribble the ball along the perimeter and go nowhere for like eight seconds. And it's killer. He murders the pace and countless ants. Yes. It's so many ants. I don't know how there isn't some advocacy group out there for ants right now against Dennis Schroeder, but the fact that you could have Horford with him off the bench, I think it would take away that option for him a little bit. And he, again, like I said, he does it with groups of, starters but a lot of times you look at who shooters out there with in some of these bench units and you're like what is he really supposed to do like there's not a whole lot alongside of him so i do think that you could rekindle some of that horford dennis Schroeder type uh two-man game and i think that'd be really beneficial for the offense because still like even when this group is whole there's not a whole lot of offensive punch off the bench and if you can run horford and Schroeder together that would really really help and it's like a, you kill two birds with one stone. You get that off the bench. You fix some of the spacing that has still been an issue, even when the starting lineup is performing well. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yep, for sure. Um, other takeaways uh, from that game. I thought once again, we got like, I know one of one of our uh, one of our listener pals is not going to love me saying this, but I thought we got another good performance from Grant uh, from uh, Marcus Smart. He was. Uh, I believe he was one for six um, from the floor, but 11 assists and, you know, not for nothing, it's like six field goal attempts. Like, you know, putting putting Smart out there in some of those shooting lineups really helps where he doesn't – I think sometimes he doesn't feel as much pressure to score yeah. if there are other scorers on the floor out there with him. And, you know, like that, that benefits everybody. Like, because, I mean, the, one, the thing that is 100% true about Smart is that he's at his best when he's distributing more than he's trying to score. And that – I think was absolutely the case. I think part of that is just, again, putting him out there in lineups with shooters with both Jalen and Tatum. Like he smart does know his role when everybody's healthy. I think it's just kind of a matter of 
sometimes he's like, all right, like it's me. Let's go guys. And it's like, ah, maybe it could be somebody else, Marcus. 1000%. He feels the need to step up and be the guy who's going to take the pressure off everyone because we need shooting. So I'm going to take 12 field goals. They like, it was, you will take one for six if it's only six attempts and there's 11 assists on the other side and no turnovers. That's pretty he's damn been, good. He's been super secure with the ball. Like he really has been everything that everything It's very funny how he and uh, Schroeder are just kind of like very much polar yeah. opposites because Schroeder stop passing it, dude. Like, I mean, don't dribble so much, but just, just try to score because like his passing is horrendous. Well, he just like, doesn't make reads. He just kind of like whips it sometimes. And it's like, dude, you weren't even looking like that. Wasn't even a, a no look attempt. You're just throwing the ball. Like, yeah. there's, there's no read there, but I agree. Smart's been good. I, apologies to Mr. Positive. I know he's not a big Marcus Smart fan, but the version of Marcus Smart that you got against the Bucks is ideal. He was focused on being that facilitator. And I wanted to talk about at some point in this episode, the potential of moving Schroeder later on in the season. Yeah. I'd be curious to see how that would affect Smart in terms of him then feeling that responsibility to like, okay, I, I got to score again because they wouldn't have a whole lot of scoring. Again, the trade Schroeder stuff, I think, gains momentum if they continue to lose. There is more incentive, obviously, to keep him around if they go through the next month and they're playing good basketball and winning games. So I'd be curious to see how that would impact Smart's offensive approach. Yeah, well, let's get into that then. I mean, what what kind of a package would you be looking for for Dennis Schroeder? So I have no idea what kind of package because I truly don't know. I haven't really looked at the suitors that would be looking for him, right? But I think the approach that I took when we talked about it on the last episode, when we briefly hit on potentially moving Schroeder is you're just getting any assets, right? Because you don't want to lose him for nothing. And so if the team goes through another rough patch for the next month, the Celtics in terms of moving Schroeder have no leverage. There's they, every other team knows what the end goal here is for the Celtics. So I don't think you can have crazy high expectations. There were people in my mentions, I wrote about trading Schroeder the other day, which I, I do think they should do at this point, or at least, look into it yeah yeah there were people talking about first rounders coming back and all this stuff that's just not going to happen mm-hmm. there's there's no oh. way and even without the lack of leverage there's no way that happens like it's just you know what you're getting with dennis schroeder it's a it's a good score it's kind of a microwave score and he's a good guy to plug in your offense but no one's going to give up a first round pick for him on an expiring contract that's just not the case at all so i think maybe you can get if you're looking for a player, it would be like a, it would be a end of the bench guy. I would think and maybe a pick or something, but I'm thinking like a couple second rounders. I'm cool with that. Like let's, I'm fine with that. You and I have talked about it, man. Like take a shot on somebody in the second yeah. round. Like even, even like, even when the Celtics haven't drafted guys in the second round, it's like, like or who, or who ended up being particularly good. It's like, you can usually see kind of what the vision was. Like you could see the vision with Tremont waters. It's like, you take that guy in the second round, because he was a defensive player of the year at five foot four. Yeah. He could really <laughs> handled the ball really pass. Like there was something there and like, yeah, it didn't pan out, but I mean, even like, you know, even the exhibit 10 for taco, it was like, okay. I mean, like, let's yeah. Like I know he's not mobile, but he's seven foot six. Like, good Lord. Like give it a shot. Right. Taking a low risk swing. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, we've talked about how second round picks can be a low risk swing. The one guy that I did have, kind of my eyes on that I think would be really interesting. And I don't know how you would go about packaging it, but um, in his latest inside pass thing, actually the one where he said that Schroeder was available, Sean Strani said that the Spurs might look to move on from Bryn Forbes. And I thought that he would be kind of an interesting guy for the Celtics, just 
with all that three-point shooting, I mean, obviously there's not a whole lot of defense to be played there. Um, but if you and, – and I know, like, you know, Schroeder and – he and Schroeder are basically the same age, basically the same contract. So you could probably go one for one without much problem. I don't think the Spurs would really have any interest in that, but I do wonder if you attached, you know, some kind of like second round pick to it. You just said like, Hey, like we'll just swap the contracts with you. Maybe they do it right now. Right. And then maybe the Spurs can give Schroeder some run, see if there is somebody like a contender out there. Forbes is somebody who interests me just again, because of the three point shooting, because of the spacing and because of what we know the Celtics look like when they have enough spacing on the floor. Um, that's that's one that I would take a look at. Yeah, you add a guy. Also, who's not been, for nothing. You're not swapping out it. You're swapping out bad defense for bad defense. Yeah, right. There's there's not a whole lot there, but you're right on three point shooting. Like you bring in a guy who's over forty percent for the last couple of years. Cheaper option moving forward. That's a guy who the Celtics could definitely work yep. into their cap structure moving forward. I think he's on. I just looked at it. Hold on. Yeah, he's one, making four point five this year. One year deal. Yep. Yeah, one year. So. I mean, that's a much cheaper option moving forward than, than Schroeder. And I agree with you that I don't necessarily – I'm not convinced there'd be interest on San Antonio's part there just because, like, why are we giving Dennis Schroeder a go? But for the Celtics, yeah, I would, I would take that for sure. And that's, why, and that's why I was saying maybe, like, attach a pick to it. Because, I mean, sure. if you're trading Bryn Forbes, you're probably not getting anything besides a second-round pick anyway. It might not work, but the guy can really shoot, so – do you think that obviously we can't jump inside Brad Stevens and Austin Age's brains here, but say they go through January where the schedule is a little bit easier and they put together a nice stretch and they're kind of in the thick of the playoff race. Do you think that completely moves them away from trading Truder or do you think it's still in like, realistically, do you think they're like, well, we're, we're not going to win the East here do you think it still is in play, even if they do put together a nice run? Because I think it should be regardless in my mind, but I don't know if that's... So it's a really interesting question, I think, because it's going to... And, and I, I don't... Like, we don't know what the answer is because I don't think we yet know what Brad Stevens' philosophy will be as a GM. Yeah. Because I do think there is something to the idea... When he came in, he made it very clear to Celtics management that he didn't want to tank, right? And that was one of the reasons that they were a little bit too good that first year to get Andrew Wiggins or Jabari Parker. They ended up getting Marcus Smart instead yeah. because they won just like a few too many games. You know, Brad was running. I mean, Danny had to take his Jordan Crawford away. Like Jordan Crawford was too good under Brad Stevens <laughs> and that man had to move. So like we know what Danny Ainge's strategy here would be. I think he absolutely would move Schroeder. Yeah. Um, or at least, you know, 2014 Danny definitely would have. Now, I think one of the interesting things, though, is that Brad is right sometimes that you can build something, right? You can build like a culture of winning that I think matters maybe sometimes more than an asset. You know, that, that, that like, okay, yeah, you could go out and get a second round pick or you could show everybody on your team, hey, we're committed to trying to win right now. And if we're winning right now, there's then don't break that up. You know, that might be messaging that to Jalen and Jason even if it's not like something that you say explicitly, just kind of some sort of subliminal, like we are a serious franchise that wants to win basketball games right now for you guys. And we're willing to sacrifice future assets to keep Dennis Schroeder and kind of stay on that path. Because I mean, it is, you know, it is kind of a, it would kind of be a tough look for Jalen and Jason if like decent players on the team who are helping you win or who, you know, seemingly were helping you win started getting traded away 
for assets because they're just like, well, listen, you guys aren't leading the team well, and you know, it's it's kind of a kind of kind of a little bit of a an unintentional shot at those guys, I would think. So, I think that'll be the interesting thing to see, though, is that if like that will I think tell us a lot about how Brad Stevens is going to operate and whether you know whether he operates differently from Danny Ainge or not. Yeah, I'm fascinated to see how he operates, and I wonder how much of Danny's old team kind of has an impact here. Guys like Zarin and Austin Ainge and Dave Lewin, there's still a lot of his guys in there that might push for something that Danny Ainge would have done. So you're right about moving a guy like Schroeder, even if it's not meant to be, that's an indictment on the team. Like it's, it just is. And it happens a lot. And I know that's not the message behind it every time it happens, but it objectively (laughs) does say something about the current team. Right, which is one of the reasons why we would just be like, yeah, man, trade Schroeder right Stank. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very um, fair. Yep. Uh, also, just now, Sham Strania tweeted that the first NBA's first known dis- case of the Omicron variant was discovered in a recent positive COVID-19 test. Fantastic. Things are going well. Like, I have to imagine that the league is going to do everything it can to keep its Christmas slate, sure. but yikes, guys. <laughs> like, at what cost? Like, at, at yeah. what cost? It's They're not in a good place right now, and... I think I've, I've, I'm sorry. I'm not giving proper credit here. Someone wrote an article that basically was saying, you know, GMs around the league and front office people around the league think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I think that's a very fair assessment. I think we're watching it get worse as we speak. So I, as much as the NBA probably wants to keep that Christmas day schedule, I think as we continue to trend in this direction, their hand might get forced at some point, but we'll see. I think, just like the NFL, they're going to do everything in their power to avoid postponements, avoid pushing the schedule off, you know, down the road. Cause the NFL is getting ravaged too. It's not just the NBA, it's all sports NHL. So, I mean, hopefully yeah, the Bruins, the Bruins are about to like cross, uh, cross into Canada, which like, if I'm them, man, I don't, I don't want to go to Canada cause I don't want to get stuck. <laughs> get stuck there. Yeah. So it's, it's not great. I think it's a combination of, maybe some increased testing. And I, I have a hard time seeing a lot of, I have a hard time calling this a coincidence when it's shortly after the holidays, we're in the middle of the holiday season. You'll get a lot of these guys who are home around families and stuff. And then it's like, it is everywhere in the country, right? It's just like, there's a boom after people get together. And the NBA was talking to teams about this before Thanksgiving, they were concerned about right. this and that sort of thing is inevitable with this. So it seems that their fears are coming into fruition, which is unfortunate, but we'll see where it goes over the next week. We always want to give a shout out to our friends over at the Shades On Beer Company. They're the makers of the Geno Time Stout, but plenty of other delicious products like Juice Fountain 3, Buffalo Check, but we here at Geno Time are biased toward the Geno Time Stout. If you're a Celtics fan in Rhode Island, Be sure to check out Shades On's Beer Garden and Tasting Room. They're down in West Kingston, Rhode Island. And if you're a Celtics fan in the Boston area, keep an eye out for the Geno Time Stout at your local liquor stores or any other Shades On Beer Company products. Really, if you're a Celtics fan anywhere in New England, keep an eye out for any of the Shades On Beer Company products. All right. Um, I mean, last thing here, Celtics have, uh, you know, tough schedule coming up here. They have at the end, let me get this up so I have it right. Um, Friday, they take on the Warriors. Friday, they take on the Warriors. Um, Saturday against the Knicks. Um, next week, you know, Philly, Cleveland, Milwaukee, 
Minnesota Clippers, Phoenix. It's a rough stretch. That's it's a rough stretch, man. And I think the the thing that they did though that's really important is they they beat the Bucks. So now you look at it the rest of the way. Even if you assume that the Warriors are a loss, which is a big assumption. I mean, they've had three days off and they are at home. Like if they lose, like the Warriors game, the next Bucks game, the Clippers game, and the Phoenix game. You know, if they lose all four of those, they could go five hundred. You know, basically that stretch from the last three weeks of December, which I think is easily their toughest stretch of the season. Like, for sure. I mean, that like it's especially when you combine that with the the um, just you know bruising road trip they just went on. It is a yeah. it is a tough stretch of basketball. But I mean, getting that win against Milwaukee pretty much guarantees that you have at least one kind of signature win out of that group, and that's not nothing. No, it makes things a hell of a lot easier down this stretch. I mean, I was under the assumption heading into that Milwaukee game that they were going into the new year under 500. Yeah, That's kind of where my head was at. And beating Milwaukee gives them a little wiggle room there. It brings them back to 500. And I do think that it puts them in a better spot. Then you get the couple of days off and you go at Golden State and you could beat the Knicks. Like there's a, there's a path here where they could be 500 and maybe even above come New Year's. But you're right getting started on the homestand with a win against Milwaukee is big for a number of reasons, but primarily it's, it's big because this is a really crappy stretch. And now to be fully balanced, it's all, I mean, it's also possible that they lose to the Warriors who are awesome. It's also possible to lose to the Knicks who they have lost to um, Philly. Eh, I'm like pretty mad on Philly, but you know, Cleveland is really good. I think they're fourth in the East right now. Yeah. And then you got the bucks and the, you know, and then the, 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 the wolves are on the road. I mean, it is like truly it could go either way. I mean, I think on the last, uh, on the last podcast, B Rob and I talked about how these next couple of weeks could define their season. Yeah. Um, I mean, but you know, if, if it does define their season, at least they got off on the right foot. Yeah, that's true. If it defines their season at this rate, they might win the title beating the Bucks. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Gretham thinks the Celtics are going to win the title. And yeah, you heard it here first. You heard it here first. A classic Chris Gretham take. The Celtics are NBA champions. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That sounds like you. Should we, should we talk about your boys in, uh, in Washington? Or are, we, uh, or are, we, are we done now? Uh, you know what? We should wrap up the show. We're running a little long. We got to get out of here, man. That is true. You do actually do have to get out of here. So we will, we will call it a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> they suck uh, right now. It's terrible. <laughs> they're pretty bad. Yeah. All right, guys, as always, we appreciate everybody for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you know where to find us, and you especially know where to find Nicole Yang, so you can bring all your complaints straight to her. We will talk to you all again later this week.